and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 116, and today we're going to be talking about natural language processing with Inez Montani. My name is Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster Perez, and I'm a teacher that codes with a hoarse voice. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a little bit of a rough start to the school year, huh? With the getting a little bit sick before it all begins. Yeah, tomorrow's the first day with the sixth graders. I'm so excited about installing Move for the uh, I don't know how many fifty fifth time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. It's all downhill after the first fifty two. So. That's fine. Well, Inez, welcome to the call. It's so good to have you here this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very excited. Um, yeah, I'm kind of new to the whole teaching side of things. I don't have kids, but um, yeah, I, we had a Ukrainian family staying with us and the 12 year old was like really taking to programming. So that was kind of what really got me interested in. Okay, how, how do how to teach how to teach him more? He's really smart how to how to do any of that. I have no idea. And um, yeah. Well, we're That's happy awesome. to share what we've learned so far. And uh, and I, I love the idea of talking about natural language processing with uh, students because I think it really brings coding and algorithms to life when they can interact with the program that they create. Yeah, no, it's real. That's also what really yeah. attracted me to the field. Um, it's not just abstract programming. You're really working with something that's like super familiar, which is language and text. Nice. That's well, cool. we'll get into that in a second. Before we begin, we're going to start where we always do with the wins of the week. And that's something good that's happened inside or outside of the classroom. And Inez, we're going to have you go first this week and, and share a win that's happened for you. Yeah, so this one is not um, specifically about programming itself, but about the community and the Python community, because we, as Explosion, we are sponsoring PyData Amsterdam, which is happening next month. So we're right in the middle of preparations. I, yeah, actually, I don't want to reveal too much, um, but we're planning things for our booth. It's our first time having a booth. We're going to do cool activities for the community and just getting ready to meet people. Like I feel like that's one of the best parts of Python is the community around it. And um, yeah, so there's been uh, a lot of excitement in our team. That's probably the best thing for me too. I think that's what kept me into Python. Is all the people that we've met, the community is so welcoming, and and when you're produce when you're giving some th talk or or explaining stuff, and everyone's just so supportive. Everybody wants to learn all the time. I think that's why I yeah. like Pythonistas. They just want to learn <laughs> all the time <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, it's a, it's a very welcoming community to anyone, and yeah, that's what I love as well. Yeah, I, I love that everyone's willing to share and help. I mean, no one's like, oh, I can't talk to you about that. They, they're like, oh, no, let me teach you about what what I'm doing, or show it to you, or check out this cool thing that I'm doing. It's it's a very sharing, open community that I I really enjoy. Yeah, hundred percent. Kelly, how about you? First? Oh, oh, me. So. I'm going to take my win from last week and it kind of goes with what we talk about or sort of talk about, but I did a AI for beginners presentation, uh, for teachers, teaching teachers last week. And it was the only one that was offered. And I, I did it with a colleague. It was fan fantastic. The doors were, had to be opened up. People were sitting in the hall it just goes to show you how many educators want to learn about what's going on with AI. And I kind of talked to them a little bit about LLMs and explained to them, this is, this is what a large language model is. And this is kind of what's going on. Very basic. Didn't go into any coding. 
And I kind of explained to them, like, it's not just chat GPT. That's not everything in the entire world. So it's just stop saying that AI is chat GPT. Um, let's just talk about everything that's been happening for the last 60 years. And, you know, it's not brand new. It's just hit mainstream news channel and, you know, change your channel. It's, it's some, there's other things. So it was really cool. And a lot of people were interested and it was such a good win and people wanted the presentation and they wanted all the links and they were just really, um, it's a little bit less scary when you, when you introduce something as it is for real and not just the hyped up version. Right. So it was a really good win. And, um, I wish I could offer that again as another talk for educators. Um, but yeah, I was on a high last week. I think that's where I sucked out all my energy. <laughs> <laughs> that's really great. I, I know we've been having a lot of conversations about that at work as well as like, what's the right role to use for AI, um, not just for writing code, but for like all of the other things that we're building and doing and where can we use it? Um, I mean, just even things like, you know, we generate a huge amount of security log data um, and being able to use that, you know, trained models to spot for anomalies and potential intrusions and things like that is is hugely helpful because it's it's such a small, um, you know, small positive effect. Right. You could have, you know, billions of lines of log data and you need like you need to find the right two. Right. And yeah. it's, it's challenging and it's a hard problem and it's a really important one. So you know, a lot of, a lot of conversations in education and enterprise, like everybody is talking about how we can leverage this. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely not surprised for a variety of reasons. There's a huge amount of interest and you're also a really good speaker. So I think that Aww. helps together. I had a good, I had a good co-host. It wasn't you, but it was my <laughs> counterpart in Boca and she did a great job. So, um, we, we did it. I would have nice. much rather had a presentation with you, Sean. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that another time. <laughs> Uh, for me this week, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pick a small one. Um, I rebuilt my, uh, circuit Python lightsaber, uh, this week <laughs> and it was really cool. Um, it, it was, you know, the real win was not the lightsaber. The real win was just building it again and like going through the code and remembering what it felt like to create it for the first time. And, you know, see all the upgrades that the Adafruit team has done with some of the hardware that that's being used. So it is, um, the it's using a new uh, Raspberry Pi 2040 microprocessor now. So it's smaller and they took all of the prop maker controls for like servo controls, which I'm not using, but the NeoPixel, the speaker amplifier, the accelerometer, all the stuff that was on a separate board is now all fit onto a, a tiny little feather board. So it's even smaller and lighter. And it's just really cool to see that and, and have that feeling of like, wow, I can make things and I can build stuff. And Yeah, I actually so relate because I'm totally not a hardware person, but like recently I was like, okay, I really need to play with this now and like I can program. So it's like, and yeah, like for those who want to check it out, I wrote a blog post about it. I had this really stupid idea to build a machine to pet my cat remotely. Um, because I figured, well, it's this, it needs this robot arm and then I attach this brush and then yeah. anyone from our team remotely can then use an app and pet and because everyone loves a cat. Um, well, it, it didn't quite work like that. Like I've included the video. It's not cats quite scared of it, but um, it was very satisfying to build. <laughs> and I also used for the yeah, I'm not sure that cats are the best <laughs> in the best. Like, <laughs> It might be like you looking concept, at it, it makes so much sense eye, in my yeah. head, but then the cat's like, 
what is this? It can now just be changed. Like, just tell Ines, pet Ines to transfer the pet to the cat. There you go. You can just say, like, every, everyone will just go pet, pet, pet. Yeah, the web app's great. It had, like, this hand that you can then, that follows your cursor and that you can move. I was very proud of that, too. And, yeah. That reminds me, I think one of my first hardware projects I did was a, um, a servo arm that had, um, I don't remember, Kelly, you maybe remember this, Inez, I don't know if you've seen it, but there was like a, a board game called like Don't Break the Ice, where you had like a character on top of like some ice blocks and you had to like tap out the ice block. So anyways, it came with this like little green hammer and it kind of was like a Jenga-like game where like eventually someone taps out the wrong block and the whole thing comes crashing down, right? <laughs> so I took this little green hammer and I put it on a servo and it would <laughs> ring one of those like... Uh, like service bells, like the little tap tap, like bells you put at a front desk or something. And I made it so that you could ring the bell from Twitter. And so you, every time it got a hashtag, it would like ring the bell. And so every now and then I'd be sitting at my desk, whoa, like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I love those ideas because they're just, they're fun and they're silly. And I was talking with my team about this this week. Like we learn more from building something by having this like stupid idea that we think will be fun to make and we don't know how we're going to get there. And the process of getting there is what makes it a learning experience. hundred percent. Yeah. So, and Crazy. if we went into my list of fails this week, it would be a much longer show. <laughs> I think this has been uh, pretty rough between trying to parent and be productive and everything. It's uh, my, my list of fails this week is pretty long. So we're, we won't go into that. But um, just want everyone who's listening, if you're also failing your way through the week, you're not alone. I'm, I'm right there with you. Me too. Mine's the software and eBooks and trying to get everything up and running. My goal was to get everything up and running by tomorrow. And I still have one book that's not running in ClassLink, but luckily the teacher is amazing and she's super supportive. She's like, don't worry. We never open the book until like the second week of school. So fails happen and I, I'm, I'm at the point right now where I'm like okay it's Friday let's get this kids in the door so. yeah I mean even in our company like yeah we do we build fancy AI and people are like wow you do so much but like a lot of the stuff you do doesn't work and they're like you know all kinds of I actually have this document where I collect like the funniest bugs all <laughs> kinds of like weird things that happen that like I don't know drove us crazy trying to debug and then it was like some really interesting um, a reason like, I don't know, a Unicode character that looked exactly like an E, but was not an E in the file name. And then PyTest doesn't pick it up. Um, or you, and, but you get like, or you get like some weird failures when you install a library and it's like, why is this happening? And then hours later, we're like, ah, that wasn't an E. <laughs> yep. One of my, one of my fails this week was from a bug I introduced nine months ago and caused a 12 hour outage. So <laughs> these things happen. Past me. We, yeah. we, we're going to have to have a fail of the fail of the life, you know, the fail of the daily thing kind of show. Yeah. Well, let's talk NLP. Let's talk. Yes. NLP. Yes. Let's get into it. So Inez, let's start with just a, a little bit of background about yourself, the, the work that you're doing, how you got into this space. Um, what is NLP for those people who don't know what it means or, or what it stands for? Because, um, you know, every three letter acronym has like 25 different possible explanations. Yeah. Right? It's actually there is the other NLP and they had the NLP hashtag on Twitter for a long time, which is why the natural language processing community, which is my NLP, used NLPROC as the hashtag nice. to find each other because NLP was used by neuro linguistic programming, which is a whole different thing. And also 
doesn't have to do anything with like pro the pro type of programming we're talking about here. But yeah, that is it's a thing. Yes. So, nice. um, well, to go back, so I don't actually have the classic like tech programming background. Um, I was like kind of an indoor child, indoor teenager. Um, grew up on the internet and um, was making websites. So when I think we got a computer when I was like maybe nine, 10. And then at some point I discovered that Microsoft Word lets you export pages as websites and then you could upload them to the internet. And maybe nowadays that's really normal to people. But back then I was like, whoa, mind blown. So I was making websites and that was even, I don't know, as a younger kid, I would make like little magazines and that was always like a thing i enjoyed i'm like great i can do that in the, on the internet and then i kind of went from there and really went all in on like making websites then it was php wordpress so that's really how i started programming and it's always followed me ever since um i studied um communication science and linguistics it was like at the time it's interesting like looking back it all worked out but like i just didn't see myself as a programmer back then like i was quite young when i finished school i was like a girl making websites and I just thought of like programmers and computer scientists as like, you know, these like boys I knew from school and I was like, ah, I don't fit in here. And so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do, I didn't go for computer science, um, but I still, it just always still followed me around, but I did linguistics as part of my degree. So there was always the language thing. And then um, I worked in media for a while. And then by coincidence, I met my co-founder, Matt, who, had the much more classic academic background. He, he was a linguist, then turned computer scientist, did his PhD, um, was really into like this kind of idea of like, oh, if we want to analyze language, we need to do that empirically and properly. And that means we need to analyze a lot of it. And that means we need to write good programs because if our programs are slow, there's no point. And even the internet and the text days is growing faster than computers are getting faster. And so that's how he got into like really writing C code and writing fast software. And he had just left academia because he saw that um, companies wanted to use his research code and because it was the fastest, it was like on the top of leaderboards and uh, companies were like, oh, can we use this in production? And he's like, yeah, now that's like research code. It's supposed to exit uh, print a number and that's it. And, um, but that kind, that's kind of what inspired uh, Spacey writing it like, which is an open source library to analyze large volumes of text and work with text in Python. Um, but that was really designed from the ground up to be used in real projects and not just um, academic research. And that's kind of what got me started in that area. Um, I started working on the open source library and then um, shortly after we decided to form a company around it and really focus on developer tools around working with machine learning, but especially with, around text. So training your own models, building pipelines, doing every, finding out more about text, which is, yeah, nowadays it's clear it's a use case in pretty much any field. We all have text, we've amassed text over decades. And now we're like, wow, we have way too much text for anyone to read and we want to find out more about it. And that's And I think it's kind of a, I think it's, kind of a subtle thing too because you know as humans right like we're trained our whole lives to process text and handle text and think about the meaning behind it right and um i think any anybody who's taught english before taught um language really like understands the struggle and the development the growth that happens but by the time you become an adult you read and you write and you like input text you output text you're able to 
find nuance and meaning in in text but to look at that through the lens of analysis right of uh, extracting or quantifying meaning from uh, a given text and being able to classify it is something that i think is a is a really hard problem right it's it's not something that's like Oh yeah, it's so straightforward. We can all do it. It's yeah, I mean, even for humans, complex. like ask humans or like one one experiment I often do, or like when I give talks, um, I ask like, okay, take these two sentences: "I love cats" and "I hate cats." Are they similar or not? And then you can take hands, and often, you know, depending on the audience, you might get a fifty-fifty, or people can argue about that because. It's often about like similarity. People think, "Hey, that's like easy. I should be able to tell that." But it's like, well, it depends. If you know, out of all the things you could possibly say in the English language, those two sentences are extremely similar. <laughs> they express like sentiment about cats. But if you're building, say, a dating app and you want to match people up based on their profile text, then that should be like really dissimilar because that's like opposite sentiment about text. And they're like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There are tons of these things where even humans disagree and where there's like a lot of knowledge and a lot of it is very specific and yeah it's hard for humans it's hard for machines but there are also things machines can just do better than humans like machines can remember stuff like it's a lot of the things you can now do with computers and with nlp are very very difficult to perform for humans because you can't keep like thousands or millions of documents in memory and then form connections between them. That's simply like not feasible. So let's back up a little bit, but because it reminds me of yeah. this, uh, reminds me of this funny, um, I don't know if it was Instagram or something, but you're flipping through the words and it's like hair, H-A-I-R. It's, and we put a T-H, it's not there, you know, and it's all these languages and different pronunciations. I was just thinking of thinking about this joke, but when it talks about NLP, natural language processing, what, is, what does that entail? If you can break um, so it down a little bit. Traditionally, I mean, I would have initially said it, it, you, it's usually about pro, like um, taking text as input and outputting something about the text. And often um, it is used when talking about structured information. So um, finding things in text that go beyond just keyword search. And that can be linguistic stuff as well, like what's the verb, what's the noun, who does what to whom. These things are actually really important for understanding text, but also things like what's the text about, uh, what persons are mentioned, what companies are mentioned, and then doing stuff like, oh, is this company that that same uh, instance of the company Microsoft, or is this someone else? Like, that's all. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, would also include more generative um, things in that same field, um, which includes even something like machine translation, where a text comes in, a text comes out, um, on, of course, things like ChatGPT, um, anything, dialogue. Um, but basically, I think what, yeah, what everyone, we all agree on is, well, it's text, text comes in and something related to that text goes out. So depending on what you put in, and I'm, I'm thinking sort of, because uh, it's the NLTK library, which is similar to the Spacey. Is that yeah, actually, sort of that was correct? Like, back in the day, okay. like when Spacey, when Matt started developing Spacey, NLTK was kind of the only main library around. Okay. And that was had a slightly different focus because there's also, there's a book that goes with it. And it was really designed for teaching 
um, as well as um, you know using it, using it in pra- for practical things. So it implements all the important algorithms or, back at the time. So there was a different focus. Whereas for Spacey, we always said like, hey, we implement one algorithm, and that's like the best. And we try to have like one model implementation um, and focus on because there's less of a focus of hey, we show you different things you can do, and more like here is a way to do a thing. But yes, that's that's definitely the same direction. And so, so I think I just kind of cut you off there with like, and now, yeah. And now, so I'm trying to think about how to make this real for people too. Like what, like examples of things you can do, right? Because we're giving it basically just strings of characters, right? Like here's a bunch of symbols that go into these, uh, into these tools, some things that we can do that, right? There, you mentioned sentiment analysis, right? Like, so what is the sentiment of this um, text? Yeah. Well, what are things? Spam, your spam filter does something like it. Like an email comes in and then it predicts, is this spam or not? And there are like a lot of different factors that go into it. I'm sure a sophisticated spam filter also combines that. It's not just one model. It's like a lot of different signals, but ultimately that's like a very classic text classification problem. Nice. So there's like sentiment classification. Um, There's summarization, right? So I've seen some really cool examples where you can take a large document and summarize it down to an executive summary. Yeah, that's more of a generative um, task. And then other things that are less visible, but also used a lot are things like span prediction or named entity recognition, which is um, say you take a text, is that a person? Is that an organization? Um, is that a country? Uh, stuff like that. That's often very useful on the way to other things. Like if you want to fill a database um, or you from more boring things like processing insurance claims or anonymization, that's like actually super important um, in a lot of areas. Um, you know, there's strict rules about personal data, especially, for example, in the medical field. There's like one company we recently talked to where, hey, if doctors are talking, for example, they shouldn't, you know, there's certain personal information that cannot be shared and you can use um, the machine learning model to predict that and, and, and alert. Hey, that looks like a person. And that, that I think is the key. So I'm thinking, you know, the kids, the kid, the kid in me, the, the, the teacher talking to a student, well, I could just put everything in, you know, in chat GPT, or I can just put it into some other generative AI. Yes, but... <laughs> Um, and I think that's the difference between running your own or making your own kind of NLP um, project because it's more specific to your specific goal. And I was reading a little bit and I was watching a couple of your um, your um, talks. I think it was a EuroPython talk. Oh, was yeah. it just like it was about the fact that you start with a problem. Yes, I could I can say, oh, I have all these recipes from home. I don't know, from my whatever grandmother, and I want to get the most common ingredients for all of it. That's something I don't want to dump all my grandmother's recipes in there because I don't want the whole world seeing all my grandmother's recipes, but it would be something that you could make for yourself. Is that kind of yeah, correct? Yeah, I think exactly. If you, Especially because this really, I mean, to take a step back, it really comes down to this really fundamental thing we've always had, which is we want to be telling computers what to do. I mean, that's why we program and that's the fundamental problem. We know what we want and we need to find a way to make the computer do that. And there are different ways to do that. Um, like before, you know, machine learning was viable. You could write 
rules so you can write regular expressions and stuff like that. That's an approximation. And with machine learning, that was actually really cool and new. You can write, you can, instead of just writing logic, you give it examples and you can really give it these examples, show it to the model, gets a point if it's right, gets a minus point um, if it's wrong, like very, <laughs> you know, very simplified. And then it builds up these statistical weights. And then hopefully if it sees other stuff that's similar, it can make the right decision. And that's actually, that's kind of a, a big plus because if we can express something in examples and can generalize, that's great. And now there's a whole other way, which is the prompting. So we can come up with a prompt and with a question that hopefully gets us what we want. And there are different, there are pros and cons to all of that. Like the prompt, obviously it's like fast. You can, especially for like everyday life stuff, it's really easy to just ask it a question that's very, that's general and get like a good answer back. And then it gets a bit more difficult if you have something really specific in mind and especially something that, so it's really domain specific because you have this very general broad model that's like kind of, you know, very wide, um, uh, but not very deep in that kind of sense. So, um, uh, and there it can, you know, if you know exactly what you want, you can create examples. It can be a lot more reliable, faster, easier, more private to just say, hey, I create a bunch of examples and then I can train a system to do exactly that and understand exactly what it does. I can analyze where it's wrong. And there are a lot of use cases um, if you like, you know, really care about um, the outcome and really care about the problem where that's absolutely worth it because, you know, you can easily, if you hit a ceiling, then, you know, you kind of need to, you know, you want to build something better. And I think previously, yeah, uh, Sean, you mentioned like the, the fraud detection or like logs yeah. and, or like, what was it? Security stuff. That's yeah. like always kind of a race, um, you know, against each other. And there, yeah. that's one of these cases where I think I called it better is better. Like, you know, you don't want a model that does like surprisingly well, given it's not trained for this. You want like a model that's as good as it can get. Um, and yeah. that's worth the effort. Companies spend millions on this stuff. And the fact that we have to create examples to train a model, it's kind of, it's like a feature. It's not a bug. It's like an opportunity. <laughs> um, well, I think that makes a lot of sense too, because it, it also, you know, like we've talked about, I think Kelly and I've talked about this before. It's a lot easier for us to learn and understand through examples that are yeah. given, right? As humans. And so it becomes easier for us to create that. So I'm, I'm thinking about as you're describing this, you know, one of the things, just like the lightsaber that we talked about earlier, finding a project and building towards it, right? Or finding some crazy idea or the bell ringing thing or whatever it is, having some crazy idea and finding a path to making that happen is where real learning happens. And so where I'm, I'm seeing this opportunity with natural language processing is that there's a whole section of uh, or a whole domain of project ideas that students and learners can have where they have their interests and they have things that they want to be able to do and being able to provide examples to the system that they create to say this is the yeah. the type of thing i want you to find this is the type of thing i want you to go look for right yeah. and, and also the consistency those... yeah in that right. that's actually the hard part and i think again that's also something that's not in my opinion talked about enough and that's often you know because it's you know it's not what the research is about but like the hard part is not the algorithms like sure if you want to learn about it it's good to understand how does that work but that's that's pretty solved and 
Mm-hmm. A lot of the optimizations there, it, it matters a lot less. What usually it always comes down to is the examples. And if you analyze those, you often, there's actually, I think even for people who are learning, there's a lot of interesting stuff you can find out there. Like you look at, you let, even if you let several people um, annotate and create um, examples on the same data and then compare that and see, oh, where do people disagree? And then you can talk about it. And then you very quickly have like, very deep uh, conversations about language or like, I don't know, stuff like, is the forehead part of your face? Um, right. That's like, people can debate that for hours. So there are a lot of these things where you could show, hey, this is like inconsistent data that you created there. Like here you included the doctor in the person name and here you didn't. No wonder your model is confused by that because it's right. now trying to make sense of why is it this way here and why is it this way there? And there is no sense. And that's what a lot of problems really come down to. And I think that is something you kind of don't see and don't get to experience if you just interact with a black box over an API. Yeah, I, and I know I, a lot just, of our... Oh, go ahead, Kelly. I, well, I was just going to say, like, I just got one of those ideas again as you were talking. I can see a lot of educators going, oh, what if... <laughs> Because, you know, we're talking about um, AI det- uh, detection or plagiarism or everything. And I'm thinking, oh, can you imagine? And I'm, you, you, you can add in a whole bunch of the kids' data or their writing over the years. And then, <laughs> oh, flag. Instead of, like, having this massive, massive uh, AI detector, you have actually a single student. Because that's what it is. It's about the, the data that you put in. So I think, like, yeah. when you control your own project... You can control your own data. You can talk about um, the biasness of the data or, or whatever might be skewing your your outcome. And I think yes. that's what's neat about having made your own product, your own project yourself with that kind of feature. But yeah. I was like, and also oh, actually, yeah, oh. bringing up the question, even something like, you know, bias is much <clears throat> easier to look at in that context because, you know, you're really doing something with a, specific purpose rather than having this model that's supposed to do everything and then can you know produce really bad things under different um yeah, scenarios like you know if you train model on like you know ancient texts like yes you actually even the weights you initialize it with you sort of want a lot of this to be biased because the text is biased and you know you don't care about like there are a lot of scenarios where it's like nah that's not where you want like a model that's optimized for an equal representation of men and women because they're literally like no women in this and that's like a problem but not um you know the models problem or if you're analyzing i don't know online comments with hate speech you really don't want a sanitized model because otherwise it's never ever seen hate speech before and then you can misclassify that or like your nice email filter will hallucinate a label like if it's never seen bad language before it will hallucinate a label and then you're I don't know, your accounting department gets forwarded all the hate speech because your model has hallucinated that this must be accounting because it's kind of weird. So it's like there are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of these things where like, hey, you know, really controlling what data goes in your model is like, you know, useful um, and, you know, also really helps understand how these things work. And I see, I can see where you can make this really fun too, right? So a lot of the things we talk about is, you know, solving a problem, but you can also make it very entertaining also. Um, for example, like an English class where you um, train a model on all of the Percy Jackson novels, like here's all the text from Percy Jackson and the lightning thief and all of the other sequels. And now everyone has to write 
um, a short story and we're going to see if we can make it trick the model into thinking that it's actually a Percy Jackson story, right? The same style, the same content, right? Yeah, that's a cool idea. There's also the actually, the Spacely community has like some really awesome projects. Like there was this one, one model um, pipeline called Hobbit Spacey. Um, people have trained um, pipelines for Latin. Like there's a lot you can do and actually, yeah, I've never really seen it from that perspective, but um, even really like going, doing some of these annotations yourself, even with a group of students to really see, ah, oh, okay, if we're training from labeled examples here, here's how that process works. And then you would go through like, oh, here, um, I don't know, Dave, why did you disagree with Alex here? And it's like, it's in interesting to have these conversations about the nuance of language. And actually, yeah, these are, as I said, these, I think these are skills that are much more important than a lot of programming skills. Like, we had a team from The Guardian use um, our tools, Spacey and Prodigy, to build models. And they wrote, like, really detailed annotation guidelines. And you could tell that, like, hey, they're, like, journalists who really used to thinking about nuances of language. And, yeah, of course, they, they're really good at that part of it. And um, that's something that, yeah, a lot of teams are missing. And, um, yeah, a lot of skills that don't get enough focus. Yeah, I love that. Just the idea to tie it into other other domains and other areas and make it something that that brings the language to life. Yeah, actually, now that we're talking about it, I just had yeah had an idea because we could maybe talk about this more, a bit more later. Like our main, our first product or the first um, developer tool we launched um, is um, an annotation tool called Prodigy that really brings together the scriptability of Python and UI for creating these annotations and uh, so you can run that locally load in your data create annotations and then it even has workflows in it to like compare for you know disagreements you can train a spacey model straight from that so if you know someone's listening to that then thinks like hey this is actually this could be awesome to do in my uh, group with some students um, to really do a bit more hands-on um, annotation work um, we have a research license program i can give you some info you can put in your show notes um after this um and we can definitely we're always happy to support these sort of projects and um yeah and, and of course yeah if if yeah someone tries it out let me know how you go um yeah Kelly, you're oh you're muted, muted. <laughs> that happens when you're coughing and you're covering up i i um i want to switch gears a little bit and because uh, I think you have a talk coming up about maybe the future of NLPs and the LLMs, or maybe you already had the talk. I can't remember. I was looking and I just as a person that's learning about all this stuff. Go. <laughs> I don't even know what the question is, but go. <laughs> future yeah, of I mean, NLPs, LLMs, machine of, learning. Know, it, it kind of makes futurists out of all of us. Like there are a lot of takes. They also, you know, a lot of takes I don't necessarily agree with. Like, you know, you have people who um, will tell you um, with a lot of conviction and also, you know, motivated by everything you see when you scroll through LinkedIn every day that like, oh, large language models will like replace everything and we don't need programmers anymore. We don't need Python anymore. We don't need anything else anymore. Um, but, um, you know, from our practical view, that's not where I see things going. And actually, I felt that's, it's a bit of a short-sighted view of things because it also you know it doesn't really distinguish between you know just capabilities that are generative which yes now work so much better like you can generate text 
at a really high quality, that's great. And that's you know, an effect of like the models just being bigger. But there are all these other things people are doing with NLP and have been doing for the past decades in companies. I would say the majority is much more around information extraction, predicting things. And yes, large language models can do that. But currently, they are a lot worse um, at a lot of these things, especially specific tasks, than um, you know what is out there um, if you just fine-tune a model with just more examples. Like if you have no examples, it's still nowhere near um, you know, the performance. And it, it, you know, it all makes sense, like as we talked about. Um, and you still have this problem of like, oh, parsing this output which is text back into something structured, which also has a margin for error. And some people might then go and be like, well, it's just a matter of time. You just, the models will get bigger and it will all get better. But there's still, um, even if you, you know, model gets bigger and you can, um, you know, get much, much better accuracy um, than now, it's still really, yeah, there's still kind of no logical way in which it beats um you know a model that's very specifically designed and trained there's like you know there's a whole next step that goes okay now we have this massive model that's pretty good how can we make it smaller and even better what can we feed it to make it do even more and that's to you know if that's totally possible and i think that's where you know i or we see uh the industry heading like you know that the sort of very futuristic idea basically assumes that companies and everyone will like drastically change everything they've been doing and um yeah use completely different technologies for everything and that's not something we've ever seen really seen in the past it's more of a very gradual development um yeah and the research backs this up it's like it's you know yes they're like huge changes and huge things that we couldn't do before but there's also um you know a much more nuanced take i have on the future yeah, it's it interesting. Reminds... Um, okay. You brought up you brought up a good point about kind of the evolutionary incremental change that a lot of organizations take. Right? They they don't they aren't necessarily looking to transform their entire business. They want to just make parts of it better, right? Or yeah. solve specific problems. And I think one of the things that struck me coming from that world when, before I started teaching around enterprise and around the way like the the approach that everyone was taking that became very familiar and then when i came to teaching especially in middle school and like with these you know kind of uh teenage early teen students or preteens was amazing to me was that they did not think that way at all right because everything was new to them right like there's no <laughs> there's no incremental change when you just learned about this six months ago so why not do something completely radical right especially since they also have an underdeveloped sense of risk aversion um but <laughs> but they they tend to like because everything is new and everything is equal in their minds there's no history there's no pattern of this is the way we've done it before or these are the things we want to do we saw a lot more experimentation you know with kelly and i in terms of how students would tackle problems and how they would look at things and they were willing to go try the completely different way of of tackling a problem and i wonder if as we bring these like kind of machine learning NLP ideas and models into those younger um, learners, if we'll see more of that kind of big risk taking strides, like let's go combine two things together that nobody thought to do. What what interesting thing could happen? Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Like I hadn't, but I, I definitely think there's kind of a new generation of people who are much more like, I don't know, how do people call it? Like AI native and, 
um, you know, have a very, like, I don't know, very different, like, approach to things. Um, but I, I do think, of course, there's also, you know, if you, like, um, yeah, risk-taking is good, but there are also, you know, like, aspects, especially if you are, you know, if you have this, like, sort of essentially black box model, um, there are a lot of things that can happen that are much more difficult to predict than if you just, like, wrote some if-else code. Um, right. And so, and I, but I do think that, that again, that's just a different learning process. Like, you know, when you wrote your if-else code, you realize at some point, okay, the whole thing crash, crashes or depending on the programming language, you get, just get like a seg fault and then like you have no idea what went on there. Right. Um, and it's just, it's sort of the failure modes, modes are all different and um, that's something we have to adjust to more. But, um, but yeah, to the original point, I think, yeah, transformative technology does not mean that like we just throw everything away and like do everything different and especially if different means more expensive and worse like that's not that's not how transformative technology works it's like that does not go over well in the annual performance review right and improves um things that you know like there's no shortage of things we want to do as humans and companies want to do and have always wanted to do and you know, even before, maybe a team could do like two projects. Now, the the prototyping, that's where LLMs are great. You can get started more quickly without having to annotate examples. That's like, you know, even I think also actually for teaching, like before it's like, it was actually kind of, you know, difficult to explain these things and really walk through the process because you need to do so much work to actually get to a system that produces some output because you have, you know, you need to label some examples to even have a model that learns and then you need your evaluation data. And at least with um, large language models and with like, you know, these plugins, like in Spacey, we have a whole add-on where you can basically have the same experience and the same data structures, but just, but powered by um, say um, OpenAI GPT-4 or even open source models that you can download if you want, it lo- want to run it locally. And then you have a thing that's working immediately out of the box. And then you can work on improving that and see like, okay, let's create some evaluation data. Again, that's, we, all, we will always need that. You always need to empirically be able to tell, is the thing doing what I want? And for that, you need examples where you know the answer. I mean, it's like, actually, I guess from a teaching perspective, that's like, you know, the most fundamental thing. It's like, you know, a lot of exams, like, you know, they are like, it's, you know, there's always a component about like, oh, you want to, you need stuff where you know the answer and then based on that you can decide whether someone is right or wrong and um how they perform and how do, should, how, do yeah. how do we know they're learning right that's the, yeah how that's do we the know question. yeah exactly it's it's kind of similar it's like i do i do hope that you know yeah nowadays yeah it's not all multiple choice exams but um there is a component of that and it's similar for a model so but yeah but we can get to a working state much quicker. And I think that's, that is a big transformative part, not that uh, we just throw everything out. It, it kind of, I was just thinking, it kind of reminds me of like large language model, give me feedback for a student. It's going to give me, yeah, you're doing well or keep focus or sit down, very generalized. But if we if we take in the other side where we're getting more specific for the job, we're getting more specific for, for a situation. It's going to give more specific feedback, stuff that can actually be done to improve. So that's kind of 
where I'm getting my, my, my metaphor on it of, of the difference of the two summarizing what was just, what was just said. Yeah. I think. I find but it yeah, fascinating but I think for the, that we're, yeah, for, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you go. I was, I was saying, I said, it, I think it's fascinating that we're, we're taking all of these, um, you know, all of this amazing capability, all of this capacity that we have in terms of like, to your point, you know, millions of documents together and being able to relate them and make connections and hold all this stuff in memory. And, and we're having a, a very old conversation about a very new topic, which is the role of generalization versus specialization, right? <laughs> and like, where, where is it more valuable? Is it more valuable to have generalists and people who know a lot about everything, but maybe not as much detail? Or is it better to have specialization where we have models or people that can really um, focus their capabilities in one area and create more value in that in that space like it's it, kind of it's both. Just, <laughs> and that's, yeah but i think both like in the as in the world and also from a technical perspective i think the, the answer or the highest value lies in both you want to you know you like a very generalist knowledge and capability lets you get started quicker um but then you know you can um you know you can kind of take it to the next level with specialist knowledge Quick question. Is there generative and predictive NLP? Like, does it depend on the, the way you do code or is it just generative for more of the large language machine learning AI? I mean, I don't know if it's like, it's, it's partly, I don't know if it's something we've, we've coined that way or if it's really, if it's something everyone uses, but like, I do think it's a super important distinction, which is, yeah, well, if generative, you're really producing new output and that's kind of also really sort of the underlying idea of how a lot of these models work or what now it's really unclear people call everything large language models now it's really confusing like there are a lot of these foundation models that have been around for years um and the architecture is kind of the same the, the algorithms it's all the same it's just that there's now a new term for it and um people are using that even for older stuff but that's basically this idea of hey let's let's try and teach the system to predict the next word and uh, that was that was you know really in a simplified way the underlying experiment and it turned out that not only do you train very effectively train the system to predict the next word based on um, a huge corpus of raw text that actually works well but it also the weights you're building up under the hood that make this possible kind of naturally and logically encode a lot about the language and the world because you have to encode that in order to be able to predict the next word in context. And that was the, this whole revelation, basically, or the, that, that was um, the finding that really changed things years ago. Um, and because not only can you know, these models produce text, but they can also be used to like initialize other models, like for tasks where you know you really have a component or machine learning implementation that um, has the job of taking in vectors representing a text and outputting some label, which, you know, under the hood, it's also like an integer, like it's not, you know, that's like, that's the job. And that works much, much better if every word gets like a weight from um, those statistical weights that were trained by predicting the next word, because then every word in context has like all of this knowledge encoded within it and then these models work better so that's the kind of whole that that's how it all started and that's the whole idea and then 
people went and said that, oh, what happens if we make these things bigger? And then like OpenAI was like, okay, hold my beer. What if we make this even bigger? <laughs> and um, it was just like, oh, it's just like, yeah, it's big. That's like, and then, wow, it like actually works better and better. Um, but I do think it's, when talking about these things, I think it's incredibly important to differentiate between generative tasks where really the output is a text that includes translation, summarization, and then tasks where the output is much more machine-facing, where it's like structure about um, the text. You know, the text goes in and then it predicts like for every word is this part of, say, a person, or mm-hmm. from which word to which word is the is it um you know other are words about a company name um mm. and or even more much more linguistic things like base forms sounds kind of boring these days but it's actually super important especially for languages that are not english like even if you want to you want to make a word cloud um you kind of don't want to you know you don't want to inc- include all forms of a verb you want to include it once and that means you have to resolve it back to the base form. In English, that's quite easy. It gets like a lot harder in other languages like German, um, Dutch. Um, yeah, like I think in English is sort of, English is quite easy. It's also the language that's, that has the most research done in it. So the closer your language is to English, the easier um, it is for NLP because that's what everything was designed for. Hmm. It's given me like a ton to think about. Like it's just, and I think that's the, the fun part about talking about NLP and thinking about it is that it's uh, bringing us back to where we started the conversation. It gets you to think about something that is very ingrained and intuitive, especially by the time you're an adult, the way we communicate, the way we uh, express ourselves. Um, you know, and, and what also occurred to me as we were talking about this is that, you know, the other thing that's interesting about this is that you know, we have may have in this, our mind this idea of like, well, there's the perfect text that is correct and grammatically solid and ex- expressive. And, you know, it's a, it's good text. Right. But we don't speak that way. Like my last three sentences were complete <laughs> gibberish. Right. But but <laughs> but the idea of being able to look at real text and real language, the way people communicate, the way they speak, the way they write. Um, the way that systems generate text and and create uh, output, generative programs, things like that, mm. it it means that we're really looking and working with real tangible things. And I, I think also bringing it back to your point at the very beginning for learners and for teachers, what makes that real and makes it compelling is that you're not dealing strictly with theoretical or the abstract or that perfect idea of text. You're dealing with real things, real text, real words. And that's messy, right? And yeah. it's yeah, and also I think there's more. Weird. Yeah, and I think I, I think yeah, I think one one main point I would make is that there's much more than just generating text or uh, ChatGPT. Like, there's actually so much interesting stuff that's kind of at the intersection of human and machine, and especially in extracting structure from text. There's so many fun projects, even beyond like oh, all the boring enterprise company stuff. Like, I don't know. You, like there's so much even as a hobby project like if you're into pokemon or i don't i don't know what like young people into these days but like even something like that you know you can you know imagine like um a task of like you want to build the database of like everything that's like ever said about like every i don't know pokemon or um someone from like your favorite band or some other 
um something some or oh, sports um that's like done the ton Fort, as well and it's got to be Fortnite. For, oh, Fortnite. Fortnite. Yeah, so they, so Fortnite. we analyze what that person's saying we know that they're going to come up and set an attack or something i can see it now yeah well, like something people talk about Fortnite <laughs> all the time and then they're different characters and they're different like seasons and i don't know i mean yeah i hope yeah <laughs> um I, i know nothing about Fortnite. and then you want to from everything from news articles from twitter from reddit and you want to pass that and you want to really find out like what is um here my my categories are person i don't know fortnite season name <laughs> like i don't know if it has like different countries or different places whatever and you want to extract that and you want to do that live over everything on the internet which is going to be lost and then over time you want to populate your database so you can query that and say like oh what were the most talked about things or like what do people say about this and that's like sounds like um yeah it's it's actually it's kind of fun but it, it, this is actually incredibly similar to like what um a lot of large enterprise companies are doing and what's like driving incredible value um and you know and there you would like a good way is as it did you train a model specifically for that you label a lot of examples um you highlight you know go through them highlight all the different entities you're interested in maybe your first idea is wrong again that's also designing these label schemes de deciding what you want to predict that's much harder than like training a model that's the hard part you start you st even as you start doing this you realize ah this is ambiguous i can't decide if it's this or that category and then you're like ah okay let's scrap this let's start again from scratch i need to the world doesn't divide neatly into categories and language doesn't either so it's like that's the work and i think learning that will also teach you a lot about the models and the technology that comes out of it and the limitations failure modes um yeah What's uh? I think I, I'm looking at the clock and I'm looking at the time and I, I think we could probably talk for forever about this because there's a lot of oh, really I, I interesting things. I can talk about this forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think maybe the the best place to wrap up is around um, you know, maybe Prodigy a little bit and where teachers can get started. So if you've got a little bit of if you have an idea about what you would could do with an LP or um, you have an idea for a project. You mentioned earlier that you have Prodigy, there's research licenses, um, yeah. there's a community of people that are doing things with Spacey. Where's a good place for, you know, teachers and educators to get started um, playing around with this and getting a feel for what's possible and what they can do with it? Where should they start looking? So I think the, we actually put a lot of work into the Spacey documentation. It also really goes through, like I said, Spacey one-on-one. -on -one. I'm sure, yeah, I can send you the link to that where it really starts at the very beginning, like what different things you can analyze about language with some code examples. Like it doesn't assume a basic knowledge of Python, but also luckily that's something that's like, that, there's so many resources for that. Um, but then there's really a lot of code. You can even run that in your browser and start experimenting with that and uh, learn as you go. And then um, once you get to a point where you're like, oh, I have a great idea for maybe a text classification or an entity recognition model that I want to train on some raw text I have, like a Fortnite idea, or maybe I'm sure people have, have better ideas for what to do. Then usually, well, what do you, what you want to do is you need some examples you can train from um, where you know the answer. And of course, also some examples you can evaluate on. Um, so you can actually check if your model is learning something and that also has to be good. And that's where Prodigy comes in because it's also a scriptable tool. 
you can write Python uh, functions um, and integrate pretty much everything into it. And it also comes with a lot of things out of the box. So you can start annotating named entities. It opens up the web browser, streams in your text, and you can just start highlighting. That's like the most basic thing. You can also load a model in and improve an existing model or just look at what does my model predict in an interactive way. And it has interfaces for all kinds of different things. And then at the end of it, you can run um, train and then it will train you a spacey model from these annotations you've collected and evaluated. So there's a very interactive aspect um, to it as well. Um, we always actually like doing kind of workshops. I know a lot of um, yeah um, lecturers in university, they always they like to use it with their students because a well it's it's very easy to get people to really look at the data and have that connection and not just have this abstract corpus that you calculate accuracies on and um yeah and also yeah university they need them to create data sets and <laughs> the students are like you know good um uh, workers they can you know also produce data as part of their courses um Thanks. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely prompting some ideas for projects and hobby <laughs> yeah. things that I and want to do. Nowadays, you don't need that many annotations anymore. It's like absolutely not, even if you're training a model from scratch with transfer learning, like if you start out with like good word embeddings, um, something like BERT, the foundation model, you could get by with like a few hundred examples. And if you, you know, have an efficient tool, which is again why we also, we always built Prodigy and the UI to be efficient, like as little clicking as possible, just like mm -hmm. really just the knowledge you really need. And then you can easily do that. Even in a few hours, you can create quite a lot of data. And that's like um, not that much if you get like your own machine learning model at the end. And that's like a model that runs on your local machine that can even run on a modern MacBook these days. That's like no problem. And it's 100% yours. Um, you can, I don't know, people have run it on a Raspberry Pi. I haven't really played much with it but i know i know that's possible so you know you can run anything drive. on a raspberry pi these days <laughs> yeah and so then you could run you could actually copy your spacing model and then run it from your raspberry pi and um i don't know people can enter some text and then it can predict something about the text so I, i'm sure they're like even cooler um things you can what well, yeah or again going back to the video games like i don't know you can stream your but one where people like type in and chat, you can kind of stream that to your model and then predict things in real time about what people are talking about in the chat or how, how is the mood today? I don't know. <laughs> so many ideas. I would love Super. to like have it predict how good they are as a player based on how much they type or what they're typing, right? Like, I think that'd be fun, right? Like there's all kinds of great ideas. Yeah, there's like, so there's so much you can do. Don't get them here. started, Ines. You're gonna, <laughs> don't get them started. We'll be here all night. We're gonna. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, we well, like, and nobody, nobody sent me hate mail about like, I don't know, my lack of Fortnite <laughs> knowledge. I mean, I guess, I guess no, it's mostly, no, not your, your listeners are mostly no. teachers and not the students. So I yeah. hope I'm, I'm yeah. safe. Yeah. <laughs> You're safe. Absolutely. I don't even know what goes on in Fortnite and my kids play it. I just know they run around screaming at each other on the, <laughs> on the phone and they're like, come here, come here, cover me. I'm like, turn it down. But anyways. Well, yeah. I think we can, we can probably wrap up here. We'll grab a bunch of the uh, links and put them in the show notes and share uh, links to Spacey, the documentation, Prodigy, uh, Explosion, so that people can get a sense of the work that you're doing. Um, Inez, thank you for joining us. This was really a lot yeah, of fun no, and, and super me. interesting. Yeah, keep me updated if you end up trying things like annotating your own data or someone. Yeah, 
some of your listeners uh, definitely keep me updated. I find it super interesting. Um, yeah. Excellent. Cool. Kelly, any announcements for our listeners this week? No, but keep an keep an ear out for my next project. You'll like this, Sean. Actually, I bought one of those uh, magic mirrors. When you said Raspberry Pi, it reminded me. Nice. It's a magic mirror, uh, smart mirror. It's a project for my exploratory. We'll see if we can put it together. It doesn't come with the Raspberry Pi, so I had to buy the Raspberry Pi. But apparently, you know, we're going to have temperature. And I actually have a mirror because we have no mirrors in our bathrooms for some reason past two years they took them out they just never put them back i guess they were like it's easier to clean there's no mirrors in there so now i had a mirror that's going to be a smart mirror run on raspberry pi we'll see i might be calling you and <laughs> getting some help <laughs> sneak me on campus i'll help you set it up sounds good but nothing else happening first good luck to all the teachers that are starting for their their new year yeah. That's it. Yeah, we'll we'll be here for you. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, uh, teachingpython.fm is our website. You can always connect with us at Teaching Python on Twitter. Um, I, I know we've said this the last few weeks, but um, if you're enjoying the show and you think it's valuable, share it with someone. Send it to someone directly and say, hey, give this a listen or find an episode mm -hmm. that you really like and share it with someone. Make that connection. Talk about it. Have the conversation with another person. Um, you know, I think that's really where in this crazy new world of social media, it's the human connections that matter. So make a human connection, share an episode, have a conversation, talk about it, um, talk with us about it. We're happy to, to listen and hear about it. Um, if you liked our show, if you disliked our show, leave us a review. Um, hopefully just the ones that you liked. <laughs> leave us a review <laughs> on your favorite podcast uh, player. Um, it helps just give visibility so other people can find the show as well. Um, and if you want to support the show financially, of course, there's our Patreon link. Um, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who keep the show going. I know um, it may not seem like much, but it helps cover the costs of hosting the show um, and makes it um, you know, just nice for Kelly and I to see like all the different friends of the show who are helping us out. Um, it's a really nice thing and it, it makes our day. So, um, Inez, thank you for joining us. Um, yeah, thanks again. Looking forward to Looking forward to having you back in the future, and uh, we'll talk yeah. more soon. Um, so for Teaching Python, this is Sean. And this is Kelly, signing off.